Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowen Branch and how you can discover this new level of softness with their iconic sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% responded that Bowen Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They source the rarest 100% organic cotton for an incredible softness to start. Then they skip the toxins and harsh chemicals for a natural feel unlike anything else. And it all comes together with their signature weave. This special design feels buttery, breathable, and unlocks new levels of softness with every wash. And they stand behind their promise of softness. With their 30-night guarantee, you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. If during the 30 nights you don't love your sheets or feel them getting softer and softer, you can send them right back, no questions asked. So head to bowlandbranch.com for 15% off your first order with code RESTFUL15. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to my two newest patrons, Holly M. and Michelle H. Thank you, ladies, for your support of Murder Is My Sign podcast. This show may contain adult language and themes. Listener discretion is advised. With that out of the way, let's start the show. You're listening to the Murder Is My Sign podcast, the podcast where we talk true crime and astrology. I'm your host, Jordy Death, here to light your way through the true crime astrology storm. Welcome to the cancer episode of Murder Is My Sign. It's crazy to think that the year is already halfway over, and we have just three more signs to get through before we complete our circle around the astrological sun, so to speak. At least in regards to when I started the show with the sign of Scorpio back in November of last year. If you're curious about the details of season two, you'll just have to continue to stay tuned in and subscribed to all my social media handles, because I'll be doing a side slice sneak peek into season two of Murders My Sign eventually. Happy summer solstice, everyone. It's cancer season, baby. To all my crabs out there, happy birthday, you sensitive fucks. I love and hate you all. I'm speaking of someone who has their moon in the sign of cancer, and I completely empathize because I'm just too damn emotional and sensitive and empathic. I'm just like an empath, and like, I just, I feel things so deeply, and I just want to say a big fuck you to cancer for making me feel the feels, okay? Actually, it's not that bad of a thing, honestly. Like, when you learn to embrace the emotion, embrace the feelings, you actually kind of grow as a human being. I'm kind of finding that out later in life. Anywho, so originally on the serial killer Zodiac list, there was no one who was listed that was a cancer. The one person who I originally planned to write about was Samuel Little. 
but me being the illiterate fuck that I am, miswrote his birthday as July 7th instead of June 7th, which really makes him a Gemini, not a Cancer. And guess how long it took me to figure that out? Yeah, that's right, folks. Right as I was writing and researching this fucking episode. So... In a fit of rage, mainly at myself, I looked at my resources and then finally consorted to going to social media and Google. I came up with two options. Option A is Carl Panzram, a very prolific killer from the 1920s. However, because he was born in 1892, his chart is a big pain in the ass. Option B was given to me by my lovely sorority sister, Ashley, who told me about the tourniquet killer, Anthony Allen Shore, born in 1966. Now, there is an easy chart to do. I ended up taking a break after the mini meltdown because sometimes you just need to walk away to gain perspective on a situation. I continued my research on natal charts and found a site that goes all the way back to 1800. It's astro-seek.com and I highly recommend it. It's kind of cool. So I was able to do his chart on Carl Panzram and that is the person that we're going to be focusing on in this episode. Easy charts be damned. I want to start off, though, with talking about the sign of cancer. All right, so for all the cancers in the audience who might be listening, just, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to roast you guys through the coals, as I do with most signs. So just, um, just be prepared, okay? So the sign of cancer runs from June 21st through July 22nd, and it's the first water sign of the zodiac. It's a feminine cardinal sign known for being receptive, sensitive, and imaginative. Cancers are known for being incredibly emotional, but you may not really see it because of their symbol, the crab. When they're under pressure, a lot of the emotion that they feel, they'll just hold that in. They'll just shell up. But when they are provoked, they won't hesitate to use their pinchers to keep people at bay or to put someone in their place. Even though the crab has a tough outer shell, they do have a very soft underbelly. So at the first sign of danger, they will withdraw within themselves into their shell and scuttle back to sea or home where they feel safe. Because cancers are known as homebodies. They feel very safe in their comfort of home. The planet that rules cancer is the moon, which, yes, the moon technically isn't a planet, but a satelliting body that orbits our Earth. But remember, guys, this is astrology, okay? Not astronomy. Astronomy? Astronomy. It's late. I'm going to keep that in because I think that's kind of funny. Anywho, and as we've mentioned plenty of times before, the moon rules our emotions, which makes cancers not only moon babies, but also big-ass crybabies. And this is where all the cancers come out to take a piece of my hide. Again, I'm just, you know, just take this with a big-ass grain of salt, okay? Crybabies. I'm also, like, partially roasting myself because, as I mentioned, cancer is my moon sign so anywho for the longest time though i thought that the tarot card for cancer was the moon card because well it's obvious right but no it's actually the chariot which is the card that represents an alignment of your personal will with the divine will and the transformation of the personal self towards a more planetary consciousness the moon card is tied to pisces and i'm pretty sure that i freaked the fuck out back in february when i realized this and i was talking to my friend valerie and she's like well duh And I'm like, well, don't I just feel silly. So um, as far as the Greek legend of cancer goes, this one is one of the few legends that doesn't involve Jupiter putting his dingling where it doesn't belong. 
go fucking figure. According to the Greek myth, Cancer was a giant crab that attacked Hercules' foot while he was fighting the serpent Hydra during his 12 labors. Each time Hercules cut off one of Hydra's heads, two more would grow in place. It was when Hercules was busy cutting off heads that Cancer the crab attacked his foot. And this crab was instigated by Jupiter's wife, Juno, who was a jealous and petty woman. Right after the crab attacked, Hercules crushed it into oblivion and then proceeded to dispatch the Hydra. Juno decided to place the image of a crab within the heavens along with the other heroic symbols for its attempt to carry out her orders. So I guess you could say that Juno gave her steps on crabs. Uh, shit. Yeah, I'm going to hell. Yeah, I'm officially going to hell for making that joke. Okay. Well, you know, I said it and I'm not going to take it back. I'm going to leave that in there. You all heard it and I said it. It's staying in. I mean, it wouldn't be Greek tragedy, though, if someone wasn't fucking a relative or putting their dick where it doesn't belong or fucking an animal, right? I mean, hello. <laughs> We've covered all the zodiac signs up until cancer, pretty much. And, uh, well, we know Greek mythology is kind of fucked up, so. Anywho, maybe this is why cancers are so goddamn moody. The dark secret that these crusty crustaceans have is that they all fear change so much that they will do practically anything to prevent it by controlling their environment. But the problem here is that the more they try to control their environment, the more insecure and vulnerable they tend to feel. Goddamn, guys, relax. Go with the flow, man. If you know a cancer, or you are a cancer, God help me, Chances are damn good that you're a homebody, and this is because cancer is the sign of home and family life. They love close personal relationships and are happiest surrounded by the familiar. They fucking hate change. I mean, I don't think I can emphasize this enough. And if it seems like I'm being particularly harsh on the sign, well, it's because I fucking am. I've been burned by one too many cancers in my life, and yet I seem to be a fucking magnet for these giant ass crusty crab babies. I have a love-hate relationship with the sign because my moon is in cancer, as I said time and time again, so I love the intuitive and empathetic side that this allows me. But in the same vein, I also hate that my emotions seem to dictate my behavior and my life. Also, I seem to be a magnet for cancer men. And not one of these fucking relationships have, has ever worked out for me. In fact, for a sign that is so emotionally intuitive, they are fucking heartbreakers. Which is fucking ironic because apparently the most likable trait of cancer is their loyalty. But maybe that just transfers when you're friends with the cancer and not trying to make a relationship work. Or maybe it's me. You know what? I will say I will own my shit with that. But you know what? I might seem bitter. And I probably am. But we're just going to let that stew and deal with that shit in another episode, okay? <laughs> so because cancers are creatures of comfort, just like the bullheaded Tauran friends, they love to eat. Breasts and the stomach are the parts of the body ruled by the sign, so chances are damn high that they will stress eat or have to deal with digestive ailments caused by tension and their wackadoodle emotions. It's easy to love them, hard to leave them. Cancers are so desperate to be loved and approved by others, but resent this trait to hell. And just like the crab with its shell, cancers are often crusty, musty, gruff, and grumpy, but somehow possess a heart of gold. A needy, approval-seeking, desperate heart of gold, mind you. And although you should not so much be judged by what you say, but what you do, because actions speak louder than words, I know plenty of cancers who talk a big talk, but scuttle a soft walk. 
these crustacean puns doing anything for you guys? I mean, I think they're kind of funny. Whimsical at most. Have I mentioned how possessive this sign is? I mean, heaven help you if you try to date a cancer and the relationship doesn't work out because they will always manage to find a way to keep it tabs on you. And I'm speaking from personal experience here. Cancers are possessive, needy, and passive-aggressive AF. If they can learn to channel their sensitivity and inherent intuition into the right direction, they can easily form this into a great source of strength. And much like the sign of Taurus, cancers hold on to money as tenaciously, tenaciously, tenacious D, tenaciously, as they do with everything else that belongs to them, because money equals security. Yet no matter how much wealth they accumulate, they never really feel secure. And the same can be said for their emotional security as well, because no matter how much love and approval they get, they will always need more. I will say though, it's it's very easy to fall in love with this sign, but it is absolute hell trying to get over them, at least from my personal experience. So enough about that bullshit. Let's take a break from our New England clam bake, or roast as it were, and start talking about Carl Panzerem. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I will say that last podcast on the left did a lovely episode on Carl, Carl Panzerm. So if you like that show... I highly recommend going and checking it out. Uh, Henry Zabrowski does a great impersonation, and that's basically his whole shtick in the show, too. Um, so I'm getting the majority of my information from the Wikipedia page on Carol Panzerum, as well as the information provided in the last podcast on the left episode, as well as my book on serial killers. Carl Panzerum was born on June 28, 1892, in Grand East Forks, Minnesota, to East Prussian immigrants. He was one of five kids who grew up on a family farm. Carl was a troublemaker pretty much from the get-go. By age five, he was already a liar and a thief. And in 1899, he was in juvenile court for juvenile court on a drunk and disorderly charged. I mean, Jesus Christ, kid, I know it's the 1800s and TV hasn't been invented yet, but you gotta be an alcoholic by age seven. You gotta be going to court by age five. I mean, what the fuck's going on here? He was in and out of jail as a kid, and when he was 11, his parents sent him to the Minnesota State Training School on October 11th, 1903. Today, it's known as the Minnesota Correctional Facility, Red Wing. Bob Dylan actually wrote a song called Walls of Red Wing. It's a pretty prolific site that did some really horrible things to its juvenile residents. Panzerim was incarcerated there from 11 to 13. And while there, he was regular, regularly beaten, tortured, and raped by the Red Wing staff. The torture and atrocities that were inflicted upon him and others were done in what was called the painting house because the children would leave being painted red and blue with blood and bruises. Panzram hated this place of torture so much that he actually burned it down on July 7th, 1905. As you'll hear, the life of Carl Panzram was not a pleasant one. He was treated poorly, 
and took the rage that boiled within him and poured it out on others like gasoline before igniting the match by sodomizing and killing his victims. In 1906, Panzeran was paroled and had become an alcoholic by the age of 14. He ran away from home and decided to become a hobo, which I guess was a profession in 1906, traveling on rail cars across the country looking for work. He claimed in a diary that was on he claimed in his diary that on one occasion he was gang raped by a group of hobos. By the way, and I didn't know this until I started researching this episode, but apparently there are differences between hobo, tramps, and bums. Bums don't work at all. Tramps will work only when they're forced to, and hobos travel for work but have no actual home. So I thought that was kind of interesting. In 1907, when Panzram was 15, he was in Montana and got drunk at a saloon and then decided to enlist in the United States Army. Because why the fuck not? I mean, this was before regulation of any sort. I mean, this kid's 15, he's drinking, he's not even of age to enlist, yet he somehow manages to enlist. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. I know it's the early 1900s, but come on, man. Don't don't do this to yourself. So, I mean, he didn't, like, stay out of trouble within the army for any length of the time, because shortly after enlisting, he was caught and convicted of larceny and was sent to Fort Lovensworth, United States Dis- Disciplinary Barracks for two years between 1908 and 1910. Later, Panzeran would claim that this it was during this time at Leavenworth that any shred of decency that was left inside him was beaten out. Panzeran was dishonorably discharged from the army following his imprisonment, and it should come not as any surprise to anyone that he went right back into his old career as a thief, stealing anything from bikes to yachts. He was caught countless times and imprisoned under various aliases throughout the country. During his time in jail, Panzeran frequently attacked officers and refused to follow rules, and the officers retaliated by beating him and doing other torturous things. I don't believe that I've mentioned this quite yet, but Karl Panzram was a big son of a bitch too. He towered at six feet and was very muscular due to all the hard labor that he was forced to do while imprisoned. In his 1929 autobiography, Panzram reflected that he was rage personified and would often rape the men that he robbed. Between 1910 and 1918, Panzram conducted a massive crime spree that spread from Texas to Mexico to California and Oregon. During this time, he robbed a lot of people, thus also raping a lot of people too. He was also arrested numerous times, but was often able to break out of jail and would go by various aliases such as Jefferson Davis or Jack Allen. In August 1920, Panzram broke into the mansion of former United States President William Howard Taft, who was also the 27th president, if you didn't know that, in New Haven, Connecticut. Pandram held Taft responsible for his imprisonment at Leavensworth because why would this psychopath take any accountability for any of his actions? And see, didn't we just talk about how cancers just can't let anything go and they keep tabs on everyone? I mean, I realize this is stretching a little bit here, but bear with me. So Pandram stole Taft's cult M1911 45 caliber handgun, as well as a crapload of jewelry and money. And with the money he stole from former President Taft, Panzram was able to buy a yacht called Akiska. I don't, it starts with an A. Okay, we'll go a yacht called A. 
and thus he continued his crime spree that quickly turned into a murder spree. Panzram would lure sailors away from the New York City bars, get them drunk, and then rape them, only to kill them using Taft's pistol. He would then dump the bodies in the Long Island Sound. The murders of the sailors only ended after the Akista ran aground and sank near Atlantic City. Panzram claimed to have killed at least 10 sailors in all. In 1921, Panzram caught a ship to Africa and landed in Luanda, Portuguese Angola. Once he arrived, he burned the rig down out of sheer douchebaggery. In his memoir of madness, he claimed to have raped an 11 or 12-year-old boy and said, his brains were coming out of his ears when I left him, and he will never be any deader. Oh, how eloquent you are, Carl. He also hired a crew of men. Now, Wikipedia says six, my serial killer book says ten, so let's average it out and say eight, okay? According to the serial killer book, Panzram hired these eight men to go hunt crocodiles. But instead of killing crocodiles, Panzram killed the men and then sodomized their corpses before feeding the remains to the crocs. After he returned to the United States, Panzram boasted that he raped and killed two young boys beating one to death with a rock on July 18, 1922, in Salem, Massachusetts, and strangling the other uh, later within the year. He continued his crime spree and filtered in and out of jail until his final arrest on August 30, 1928, where he was arrested in Baltimore, Maryland, for stealing a radio and some jewelry from a house. It was during his interrogation that he voluntarily confessed to killing three young boys, one in Salem, one in Connecticut, and the third in Philadelphia in August 1928. He was given inmate number 31614 when he arrived at Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary and warned the warden, I'll kill the first man that bothers me. And he delivered on that promise on June 20th, 1929 by beating the prison laundry foreman, Robert Robert Warnke, to death with an iron bar. And it was this murder that caused Panzram to be sentenced to death, because even though he had an extensive record and even confessed to murdering those boys, he had only received a 25 years to life sentence for that. He refused any appeals of his sentence, and in response to the human rights activists who wanted to intervene on his behalf, he said, The only thanks you and your kind will ever get from me for your efforts on my behalf is that I wish you all had one neck and that I had my hands on it. While awaiting his execution on death row, Panzeran was befriended by Officer Henry Lesser, who would give him money to buy cigarettes, which just blew Panzeran away because no one had ever done him any favors in his 38 years of shit-fueled existence. It was Officer Lesser who provided Panzram with the writing materials that he would use while awaiting his execution to write in great graphic detail the summary of his crimes and nihilistic philosophy. Panzram made it abundantly clear that he did not repent or feel any type of remorse for his crimes. He stated in his work, quote, In my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I have committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, arsons, and last, but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than a thousand male human beings. 
for all these things, I am not the least bit sorry. Damn! I mean, even Samuel Jackson would say that is one cold-ass motherfucker. Shit, son. That is Satan incarnate. On September 5th, 1930, Carl Panzerm was executed. According to accounts of the hanging, Panzerm spat in the face of the executioner while the black hood was being placed over his head. When asked if he had any last words, Panzerm said, Yes, hurry it up, you hooser, bastard. I could kill a dozen men while you're screwing around. His body dropped and his neck snapped, thus ending the life of Carl Panzerm at the age of 38, prisoner number 31614. Officer Lesser preserved the letters that Panzerm wrote and the autobiographical manuscript. However, nothing was to become of the manuscript until 1970, when it was published and released under the title Killer, A Journal of Murder. And there you have it, the truly horrific life of a man who gave absolutely zero fucks about the world, himself, or others. When it comes to the star chart of Carl Panzram, we know that he was born on June 28, 1892, in East Grand Forks, Minnesota. So his son is in the side of cancer, which makes him emotionally sensitive, but I'm pretty sure that was beaten out of him when he was a kid. His moon was in the sign of Leo, and as we will hear next month, Leos love the spotlight, and they have a talent for drama. Gee, go fucking figure. Mercury was in the sign of Cancer, and since we are currently in a Mercury retrograde, I just wanted to touch upon this within his chart uh, a little bit here. People who have Mercury and Cancer within their chart have a great imagination and a talent for writing. Well, we don't know much about Panzerim's imagination, but we do know that he wrote. People with Mercury in this position can do any job that, and can, they can do any job and they can adapt easily when circumstances change. So they're very, very flexible. So with Panzeran living the hobo life and finding work, or more like stealing, he accumulated a lot of different jobs within his life. They get along with people well who have different opinions and attitudes. Although I think he was so innate, innately bitter towards the world that he just ended up killing and sodomizing anyone who may have crossed him. They like to be flattered and praised, and they rarely do anything that could damage their reputation. But in Carl's case, that's a lord of horseshit, isn't it? June 28th is the birthday of the Sprite, or perhaps in Carl's case, the birthday of Spite, since he was such a mean guy. The greatest challenge for those born on this day is not always feeling you need to perform or deliver. And the way forward is to understand that you alone teach other people what to expect from you. So teach them to treat you with respect or fear, as was the case with Carl Panzram. I mean, Carl Panzram was a man of his word. He did tell that warden that he'd kill the first person who pissed him off. And unfortunately for Robert Warnke, that was him. People born on, under people born on this day don't take themselves too seriously. They are motivated and enterprising and eagerly latch onto every opportunity to further their plans and endeavors. And for Carl Panzram, this translated into stealing, sodomizing, and robbing people. Those born on June 28th are always on the go. If they aren't moving, dancing, or running, chances are that they are fidgeting. And we know that Panzram was a hobo who traveled quite extensively and just didn't stay in one place for too terribly long. Something of note that I found interesting for this entry on this birthday was, quote, 
If they can take advantage of the opportunity to build their self-esteem, they have within them the determination to become an advisor or a 30 figure that others admire, respect, and hope to emulate, end quote. So if Pandram had actually been reformed while he was incarcerated at the tender age of 11, then perhaps he could have actually done something productive with his life and made something of himself. I'm only assuming that if that he turned out the way he did because of the size of his family and maybe not receiving enough attention or love, and also with it being the early 1900s and the Great Depression, the Dust Bowl, and all that stuff going on in, in the country, who knows? Who's to say, really? Maybe he had also had a tumor in his brain or was dropped as a baby or shaken or who who really knows? I think we're just kind of like juxtaposing here, really. Um, but there, there might not be any reason behind any of this, too. Like, Carl Panzerm could have just been born bad and turned into a vile creature through society and the penal system. On the dark side of those born on June 28th, they are chaotic, tactless, and self-conscious. At their best, though, they are warm, lively, and delightful. Carl Panzerheim was an agent of chaos. That is true. I bet he and the Joker would have had gotten along pretty well until, you know, Panzerheim tried to rape him. A bit ironic that the power thought for June 28th is, I am perfect just as I am. And I'm sure he felt that to his core. And there you have it, folks. The cancer episode of Murder is My Sign is officially in the books. We have baked, broiled, stewed, and steamed this crab. And if you were offended at any part of this episode, chances are damn good that you're a cancer, or you have a cancer moon, or you have a cancer ascending, and just too fucking sensitive. I'm joking in jest a bit here, of course. I I do hope that the cancers out there who were listening to this episode could find some humor here and laugh at themselves and at me because, you know, fuck. I mean, if you're not laughing now, what are you doing listening to this? I mean, it could be worse. You guys could be Scorpios. If you're not totally offended and actually enjoyed listening to this episode, why don't you share this podcast with your friends, families, co-workers, colleagues, prison guards, therapists, and primary care physicians? As always, you can find Murder Is My Sign anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, or your favorite podcast app. You can connect with me and stay up to date on what's going on with the show by following me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and now Twitch, all at Jordy Death. That's J-O-R-D-Y Death. But if you're old school and you want to email the show directly, you can do so at murderismysignpodcast at gmail.com. Want to become a death head and support the show by buying your plot in the ever-growing boneyard? Why don't you head over to Murders My Sign Patreon page and become a patron just like Michelle, Holly, and Jake. Thank you guys for your continued support of the show. All right, that's going to be it for this episode. I will see you all in a couple of weeks when we cover the sign of Leo. Until then, take care of yourself and each other and rust in peace. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.